all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. All about the Savior and the promise of His Word. It's all about Jesus. Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. The word perfect in verse 10 comes from the Greek uh, word that means finished or complete. So you might just say Jesus, his work was made complete through suffering. You see, it's not like Jesus was, was imperfect till the cross. So in other words, the context of this verse, Jesus was the author of our salvation. He finished or completed his mission through suffering. And you might say Jesus became the perfect Savior through suffering. Now you got to see that because sometimes we just think really getting something done is never failing and never suffering and then you're successful. Sometimes the way to success in God's view, for you and I as well, you got to go through it first. You know what I mean? You got to go through some suffering. And so, matter of fact, let me read you a quote I found from Spurgeon that I appreciate. Spurgeon says this, We know that he had only been God, excuse me, we know that had he only been God, yet still he would not have been fitted for the perfect Savior unless he became a man. Man had sinned, man must suffer. It was man in whom God's purposes had been for, for a while defeated. It must be in man that God must triumph over his great enemy. He had to become a man. He had to go through this process. He had to suffer in order to save us. Now, we'll get off of verse 10. Verse 11 says, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. See, because of the work of Jesus Christ, all who believe are born again and have become legitimate sons and daughters of God. And so we, because of that, we could all be called Jesus' brethren. Now, something I learned, I was telling Linda the other day, as I study the scriptures to teach them, I study more carefully than if I'm just studying on my own. I always learn new things, even if it's just a little a little tidbit. And one of the things I learned new today or this week as I'm studying is that nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus call his followers brethren till after the resurrection. He calls them friends. He calls them servants. But not until after the resurrection he does he call them brethren. As a matter of fact, one of the samples is when the women left the empty tomb, wondering what was going on. In uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, it says, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they'll see me. It's like now, I'm not ashamed to call you brethren, because now it's possible for you to be born again, to be sons and daughters of God. Verse 12 then goes on to say, uh, <clears throat> quoting Psalm 22, 
I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. So, so what we're going to see, and I've told you this many times, the writer of Hebrews quotes the Old Testament hundreds of times because he's speaking to the Jews. And so in, in every chunk we study those quotes from the Old Testament. Here he's quoting Psalm 22, and if you remember, the entirety of the Psalm 22 was actually quoted on the cross where Jesus quoted Psalm 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right out of Psalm 22. And you can read about it in Matthew chapter 27 and the other gospels. Now this Psalm, Psalm 22, it, 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 the Messiah identifies himself with all those who place their faith in God, calling them my brethren. And in verse 13, he says, And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children God has given me. Now now he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 8. If you really want to go deeper, go back and read, look up all these, the context of these. It's actually the Messiah speaking in Isaiah chapter 8. I'm not going to go back to all of it, but let me just tell you. Uh, now, you've got to see the prophetic fulfillment of all the messianic promises of the Old Testament come forth in Jesus every step along the way. But before we move to the third reason that Jesus became a man, let me just jump back to verse 11 once more. Verse 11 says, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. We're all of the same father. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. There's a word that you could all miss in there. And I want, actually I gave extra questions for the small groups to talk about this word, sanctified. What does sanctified mean? Oh, people, it's a holy word. You know, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, sanctified, and baptized with the Holy Spirit. We throw these words around, right? Sanctified means set apart. If you go to a bird sanctuary, it's a place where it's safe for the birds. <laughs> They're not hunted there. A sanctuary is a place you're set apart to get away. But sanctified in God's eyes is to be set apart and made holy, made fit for the kingdom. And here we're told that it's Jesus who makes us holy, and he makes us one with him. And what separates man from God is sin. Jesus took care of that problem and made us one. And when Jesus wipes away our sins... He sets us apart. He makes us holy. We become one with him, one with the Father. And then he's not ashamed to call us brethren. And he's removed our shame. And he's given us unity with the Father and the Son. I'm going to give you a couple more verses on this because I love this concept. And there's some confusion here. Because some people think, well, I don't feel very holy. I, I still sin now and then. And I'm not sanctified. Maybe I'm not saved. And people get messed up with this. So let me take a moment to explain this. I like the way Peter put it in, in 1 Peter 2.10. 2, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so it's important to understand we have obtained mercy. Now, there's, there's a difference. Here's where people get messed up. There's a difference between positional sanctification and practical sanctification. Now, I'm not one who usually uses all kinds of big theological terms, but I don't think this is that big. Positional means he's made us holy. He's called us his own. He's caused us to be born again, and we are his positionally. 
God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are now righteous positionally. But practically, do you feel real righteous and Holy Ghost holy? Okay. There's a difference between positional, which who you are, and practical, which how you live. Now, of course, the goal of Christ in us is that we, as we live our Christian life, we learn to act like who we are. We learn to be like what God has made us to be. He's already made us holy, but now we've got to live holy. There's a little bit of a process here. Sanctification is a process. You'll talk about it in your small groups. But let me read a couple more verses on this. Hebrews 10. I don't want to wait till we get to 10 before you get this. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering... He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I thought we were sanctified. What do you mean we're being sanctified? You are perfected forever, but you're still in the process of it being practical, everyday, obvious, okay? Because God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are positionally, we are holy. And you don't have to all the way when you when you pray you could look up and come boldly before the throne of grace you could say thank you Jesus you died for my sins you bore my sins so that you gave me your righteousness and now I could be righteous in your sight by your righteousness is wonderful let me read uh, Hebrews 10 14 one more time in the new living I like this listen for by one offering he has forever made perfect those who are being made holy I hope you could get this because if you're realistic, if you're honest, you're going to go, I ain't holy. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, you're going to go, well, I'm, I don't feel very righteous, and I don't think I always, I don't talk righteous. Keep, keep on going. Or as, as Dory always said in Finding Nemo, Nemo, keep on swimming. Keep moving forward. Because that's God's process. It's, it's unfolding in you. I like that. He's forever made perfect. You're already there. Those who are being made holy. That's a process. But don't, don't fight the process. Don't drag your feet. Let's, let's go along with God's will here. Okay, now, for the third reason that Jesus had to become a man, and this is your next fill-in, his humanity enabled him to, first fill-in, disarm Satan. And you'll find that word in our text. To disarm Satan and deliver us from death. Oh boy, I'm looking forward to the day when there's no more dying, no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow. I'm looking forward to that, but we're not there yet either, are we? Okay, because <clears throat> we're not. Hold on. I have to learn to wait for the thing to power down. <clears throat> if I have to cough, I go, wait, let it power down. Okay, here we go. Um, his humanity enabled us, enabled him to disarm Satan and deliver us from death. Now, a little bit more explanation here. Let's look at verse 14 in Hebrews 2 in our text today. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetimes subject 
to bondage. Now, I don't know if I'm talking about you, but I know a lot of people, their big fear is death. I think hopefully when you're born again, you're not afraid to die anymore. I'm not afraid to die. I just don't, don't, uh, don't want a, the, the unpleasant process. <laughs> Lord, take me in my sleep like you did with Uncle John, not like his four passengers yelling and screaming, you know. <laughs> I, I, I'm not afraid to die, but I, you know, we all fear that process of pain. But really, hopefully, if you're born again, you'd know the Lord. Death no longer has a hold on you. And since the children of God are humans, made of flesh and blood, what the scripture says here, Jesus likewise had to become human, become like them, and share their nature. Now, remember, here's a doctrine that a lot of people mess up, but you've got to understand it. Jesus was a man. He was 100% man, man. Matter of fact, the, the, the first Christian heresy was that he wasn't a man. You know, nowadays the heresies are he wasn't God. The first Christian heresy in the early church, oh, he was divine. And then they took it so far with Gnostics that he didn't even have footprints. He didn't even have a body. He was just an apparition, you know. But the truth is, he was 100% man, 100% God. Now, you have a hard time understanding that because you don't know anybody else like that, right? <laughs> It's like saying he was eternal, he has eternal life in the future, but he also lived eternally in the past. And you go, well, I, I get it, you could keep on living, but I don't know anybody who has eternal life both ways, you know. You know, because he, he's God. He, he's going to stand out as different. So, I, I like the way Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 is put in the New Living. It really clarifies it. Matter of fact, some of you guys, if you don't have one, get a copy of the New Living Translation. In your studies, always read it in the New Living. Very simple, listen to this. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all those who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. I hope you don't have that fear. Because you know what? I don't know if you know this or not. Ten out of ten people die. You wonder what your chances are with the coronavirus? Pretty good. Because <laughs> though I, I think everybody I know has had it, I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many people are going to die? Well, unless the rapture comes. Oh, that was a trick question. Because I'd, I'd rather go by through the rapture, but you know what? It's all going to be worth it either way, and I know the fact is we're all going to die. Now, verse 16 tells us, for indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the children or the seed of Abraham. So now, he, remember, he kept talking about angels in, in the first chapter and even in the beginning of the second uh, chapter. But now he's saying, look, Jesus didn't come to help angels. For one thing, the good angels, they don't need help. The bad angels, they're beyond help, okay? So he didn't come to help angels. He came to help us. It says in verse 16 that he came to give aid to the seed of Abraham. Now you go, well, I'm not a Jew, so that's not me. No, wait a second. Because the seed of Abraham refers to two things. It refer to the physical descendants of Abraham, which is the Jewish nation, or the spiritual children of Abraham, the ones who, like Abraham, believed in God and therefore were right, made righteous. You know, that's, the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him 
as righteousness. That's what made Abraham righteous, his faith. And that's the only way that anybody is made righteous. You know, some people have a hard time with this. I know there's some people who go, no, this imputed righteousness stuff, you, you got to live right. you got to not sin. I'm not arguing against that. I'm just saying nobody gets to heaven because they're living right. Because how many of you ever live right and never make any mistakes? Another trick question. Don't put your hand up. None of us. We all have. How many of you guys have never sinned? If anybody raises their hand, slap them. I think it was one time a guy came up to me and believed in what's called sinless perfection. He goes, since I've been a Christian, I've never sinned. And nobody should ever sin. We, we've overcome sin. You don't have to sin anymore. I've never sinned since I've been saved. Go, really? Yep. Are you married? Yep. Let me talk to your wife. Come on. See, the, the thing is, we, we've all sinned, but we are made children of God through faith. We're made righteous. The only way anybody could come to Jesus Christ or could be made right with God is the righteousness of faith. Read Galatians, read Romans, read your Bible. It's all over the place, okay? So, did I give you the fourth reason yet? No, I didn't. Here it comes. And you know, I thought we we're going to go short, uh, long, but I think we, we might, if I do this right, I could end early today. Okay, the fourth reason Jesus had to become a man, number four, his humanity enabled him to be a sympathetic high priest to the people. A sympathetic high priest to the people. And that's found in our last two verses that we'll be looking at right now. Verse 17 says this, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. I know there's a lot in that verse, so we won't rush through it, but listen. I'm so glad that Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest. I mean, uh, Jesus, he, he had to be, you know, an, an angel couldn't do this. And by the way, a high priest... A high priest had to be from a certain human family, and he certainly had to be human, and he couldn't, it couldn't be an angel. I mean, God didn't say, I don't need the right person to be a high priest. So, Michael, the archangel, go down. No, it was they had to be a human being, because a human being can empathize and sympathize and understand. And another thing a high priest did was that he inter interceded to God on behalf of man. And that's what Jesus does. It says he ever lives to make intercession for us. And that's who Jesus is. And another thing a high priest did was he, he offered a satisfying sacrifice according to the law to, to cover the sins of the people. Matter of fact, in this verse, in verse 17, the word is propitiation. It's a word you probably don't use today, right? But it's an important word. Propitiation actually means appeasement or satisfying payment. Or like if you go to court and you broke someone's window, or you, you wouldn't go to court for that, but you broke something expensive for, uh, to your neighbor and they took you to court. The propitiation would mean you've got to make payment, restitution, to make right what you broke so that it would be satisfying payment and your neighbor would go, there, I'm satisfied. You need to pay for that. And you know what? That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross for our sins. He made propitiation for our sins. Appeasement. Satisfying payment. Conciliation even. 
Jesus made the satisfying payment to God for our sins. I think I quoted the verse earlier, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages of sin is death. That means if you've sinned, you've got to die. Which, by the way, these bodies will. But you won't die eternally because Jesus paid the price for your sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, there are many important characteristics of a high priest. Uh, but two that are very important, found right here in this verse, is he had to be <clears throat> merciful. That means sympathetic. Have you ever met somebody who um, maybe you've committed a sin or you've done something they would never do and they go, <laughs> and they look down their nose at you, you know, and you go, you feel so stupid, so shameful, what an idiot, because they would never do that. Some religions do that. Some churches, some pastors, elders and deacons will do that to you. No, you do that. It's a whole other thing when you've been tempted and you understand. You know, the Bible says that he's been tempted in all ways, like unto ourselves, and yet he hasn't failed. But he knows what temptation is like. Matter of fact, I think he knows what temptation is like even more than you because for us, uh, our temptations only last a little while because we give in to them. Jesus, his temptation, he, you, ever, you ever try to put off temptation? You're being tempted, you're being tempted, you're being tempted. It gets worse as time goes on. And you just, <laughs> Jesus, he never gave in to temptation. But becoming a man, he understands what you're going through. And he could be merciful, sympathetic. But the second word is faithful. Oh, you look up faithful in the dictionary and there's Jesus' picture there. Faithful. He's trustworthy. So being one of us, being human, Jesus can also be merciful. And, and he's acquainted with our weaknesses. Now let's look at our last verse today. Verse 18 says this. For in, he, in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. It took me so long to understand this. Because, you know, you look at Jesus and the, you know, some of our religious pictures of Jesus, the untouchable, the perfect one. And how could he understand? He understands. He's been tempted. And he cares about you. I like the way uh, Hebrews uh, 4, verse 15 and 16 put it. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, listen to this, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because we have a high priest like Jesus, we're told, now come on. Come on up to the throne. You don't have to cower away in shame. You don't have to look the other way. You don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed. He knows you. You know what's really amazing? He knows you. He knows everything about you. And he still loves you. He knows you through and through. He knows every fault, every shameful secret. He knows all your secrets. And he still loves you. Oh, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need because that's our perfect Savior. That's who he is. I think I will end early. But listen, Jesus the perfect Savior. He knows you completely and he loves you thoroughly.
you will never find anyone like that. You'll never find anyone, even in the flesh, who knows every little secret about you and even the most ugliest things about you and yet loves you so much that he laid his life down for you that through faith in him you might be saved. He's not ashamed to call you brethren. That's what the Bible says in the text that we looked at today. So here's your final question today. Are you ashamed to call him Lord? He's not ashamed to call you brethren. Lord, help us to be able to just bow before. Lord, we come to you now and we ask, help us to understand your, the depth and the width and the height of your love for us. Help us to, to get it that we might come boldly before the throne of grace, that you might show us your mercy, show us your grace, show us your forgiveness. Right now as we bow, if there's something you need to confess to the Lord, right now would you just confess your sin? If there's something standing be between you and God, would you just confess it and just say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. Maybe there's something specific. Don't just say, forgive me my sin, but there, there's something specific you need forgiveness of and you need deliverance from. Would you just be honest and tell him right now? Name it. You don't have to tell anybody around you, but tell Jesus. Put your finger out because until you put your finger on that sin, you'll never really forsake it. You'll never really can repent till you say, Jesus, forgive me of... And fill in the blank. Would you tell him right now? Would you ask him for forgiveness? Would you ask him for deliverance? Ask him to take it away. That you never go back there again. Holy God. Jesus, thank you. That you love us so much that you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not ashamed to call us brethren. Help us to not be ashamed to call you Lord. Jesus, he's the resurrection, the love of we hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.